Some of these things will be prepared prior to your death, but all of these will help after your death. Welcome to the Reach Your Summit podcast, where we help you navigate the path to a better, more secure future. I'm your host today, Stephanie Brinkman, and I'm the Marketing Administrator at Summit Wealth Group. Today, Dan Gilbertson, CFP and Vice President based out of our Lakewood, Colorado location, is joining me to discuss five estate planning mistakes that people make. Thank you for joining me today, Dan. Hey, Stephanie. It's great to be back. Happy to have you, Dan. So if you didn't listen to our previous episode, Dan and I recorded Estate Planning 101 last Tuesday. So check that out. All right, Dan, what are your thoughts about people who fail to make a plan when it comes to estate planning? It's one of my favorite questions, Stephanie. I'll tell you what, anyone who thinks they're going to live forever needs to get a grip with reality. And for those of you who don't have your estate planning done, you're not thinking about your loved ones who are going to settle your estate and receive the proceeds from your estate. So this is a critical area. Now, it doesn't matter how many assets you have or what your net worth is. Everyone should have an estate plan set up and updated in your primary state that you live in. Dan, I love that you started with that point. I always assume because I don't have a lot of assets in my name that I don't need to worry about setting up an estate plan, but that's not true. Why is it so important to make sure that it's updated to where you live? The reason I say that is because sometimes people move and it needs to go according to your state law where you live. Yeah, we mentioned this in our previous episode. Each state has different laws when it comes to this. If you don't do this for yourself, at least do it for your family members. If you die without a will, this this is called dying intestate, okay? So if you die intestate, disbursements will be made according to state law, which might not be what you wanted or intended, but the state will determine that if you die intestate. Now, like I said, this is going to be a headache for your family members and primarily your personal representative or executor. This is the person who handles and manages your estate once you pass away. So the biggest mistake you can make is not taking the time to get your estate plan done. How often should you update your estate plan? If it's been more than five years since you've updated your estate plan, and if you've had any kind of major life event, you know, you should sit down and go over your estate plan and see if it's up to date, see if you may have to make any updates. Okay. Um, what are the four estate planning documents that everyone should have? Yeah, there are four critical documents that everyone should have. I mean, there are some that some people should have, but these are four critical ones you should have. Number one is a will. The next thing is a durable power of attorney or a financial power of attorney. The next one is a medical or a healthcare power of attorney. And the fourth one is a living will or a medical directive. I mentioned this already, but this is the second episode of our monthly theme, Estate Planning. Dan and I recorded Estate Planning 101 last Tuesday, and we got into all the details of, of these different types of documents. If you skipped that to this episode, I highly recommend going back so you can follow along a little easier. How often should you update your beneficiaries on these? Yeah, it's, it's so important to update your beneficiaries on these things and keep them up to date. If you've gone through a divorce, for example, or experienced the death of a beloved one, you need to update your beneficiaries. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've had people come in and, and they've had a death of a loved one and there's, there's one area that they may not think about. So we make sure those things are updated. What type of accounts need to be updated? Bank account, your credit union accounts, any life insurance policies, beneficiaries on your home or rental properties, pensions, 
investment accounts, things like that. So what we do is we go through and make sure you're up to date, have everything current. We review all these things, make sure you have what you want to on uh, as your beneficiaries. Dan, what about any final arrangements that someone needs to make, including taxes? That's a great question. So preparing for an event like this is is critical, and it would be extremely helpful for the person handling or settling your estate if these things are all organized. Some of these things will be prepared prior to your death, but all of these will help after your death. So one of the areas, execute your durable powers of attorney to authorize an agent to act on your behalf concerning your financial matters. Like I said, this happens before your death and it's, it doesn't apply after your death. You can also prepare a list of your advisors and their contact information. This, uh, this I call as a coordination of documents, and, and it's so helpful for the people who are handling your estate because they have a complete list of these people and these advisors that they can contact and get things taken care of. That's a really good point, Dan. Uh, I just recently learned that one of our advisors here at Summit Wealth Group after a client fills out the estate planning documents, they will staple their business card to it. So when the day comes, um, to the financial advisor's information is right there for them to use and makes it simple. I think that's a great idea. And what we try to do is when we have clients come in, we try to, we try to remember to give them our business cards to give to their family members so that they do need to reach out in an untimely fashion like that, that they have our information. What other items should people take care of ahead of time? Yeah, other items you want to take care of ahead of time is you want to document the location of any financial records, such as tax returns, bank statements, um, homeowners insurance and auto insurance policies, life insurance, um, any car titles, deeds, things like that. Can you give us an example? So my previous wife, Patty, she had a monthly log that had a list of our fixed and variable expenses and the information that went along with those expenses. So in other words, she handled all the, she handled those expenses. I handled the outside money. So when she passed away, she had this log that I could take a look at or as a bit more of a ledger that I could take a look at. I knew all the information and we didn't skip a beat. We were going through some emotional difficulty with her passing away. But the beauty of it is that I was, I was able to step right in and, and take over paying the bills. And I knew where everything was and how to take care of it. She sounded organized. I like it. I personally like the idea of the paper log, but having it electronically is probably a better idea. You know, you don't have to use a paper log. I mean, that's that's a long time ago, but you could use something electronically that would be very efficient for you too. What do you want to do next? And then you want to document the location of these person of some personal records. So in other words, your social security card, any divorce papers if you've gone through that, birth certificates, passports. Where should someone store these? And you can also store these electronically. Now, document Social Security or other pension benefits that may provide death benefits. That's critical because you want to be able to pass that on to, to your surviving spouse, spouse or partner. Document contact information for utilities, the repairman, uh, any kind of centers of influence, people who you work with. Um, that's very important too. Review and discuss your financial picture with family members. You just need to make sure that your estate documents are current and you can make changes or amendments at any time while you're still alive. Your executor will settle your estate and carry out your wishes. What will happen if you go through the probate process? Uh, and if you go through the probate process, the executor will be responsible for paying 
the expenses of your estate and the debts that you leave behind. So they do have a big responsibility. That's why you need to make sure this executor is, is very responsible. And they also need to file your, your, your tax returns, your probate court reports. So if you own property in several states, I mentioned this before, your executor will have to deal with additional probate court systems. Can you give us an example of this? If your assets do go through probate and you have property in multiple states, you'll have to go through the probate in each state. And there's there are ways, as I've mentioned before in the first podcast, that you can avoid this. So if you have properties in three different states, they will finish up the probate process in Colorado first. Once that's done, you'll go to the next state. And then after that one's done, you'll go to the next state. So it gets to be kind of a headache. Dan, remind us of what it's called and how you can avoid it. So it's called ancillary probate. And one of the ways that you can really avoid that is through a living trust. And we can discuss that at a different time. How long does it take to settle an estate? So settling an estate typically takes less than one year, but it can be longer and, and more time consuming if, if you don't have some of these things in place. Okay, so you had mentioned this, that not discussing your estate plans with your friends or family is a huge mistake that people often make. Can you explain this a little bit more? Yeah, I think it's I think it's really important to set the expectations now. And it's a good idea to have a conversation with your family and friends, um, depending on who's part of the estate. I think that's the critical part of it. So you, you've probably assigned or appointed individuals in your estate plan, such as a durable power of attorney, medical power of attorney, executor, trustee, guardianship, who's going to raise your kids if they're minors. So now, you'd be surprised at how many people create their estate plan and they don't communicate it with the key people in the plan. So that's a very important uh, um, thing that you need to make sure you do. And uh, I talked about some of those examples earlier. Being proactive could lessen confusion and avoid or minimize contention or disagreement after you've passed away. You'd be amazed. You want to be as specific as you possibly can. Some of the areas I see huge issues, it's not necessarily the cash assets. It's the heirlooms. So what if what what if you have a car? What if you have a sh- shotgun? I know that's not the greatest example, but what if you have something that somebody's passionate about? They want to have that item. You want to designate that in a personal memorandum so you make sure that that person's going to get that. Otherwise, I've seen it so many times. There's a battle if there are more than one person that wants that asset. That's going to be a problem. So I think the more you can arrange this ahead of time, that's going to help so much when when you're settling this estate. But it's your call, and you need to really talk to your family and figure out what's best for everyone. Okay. A lot of great information here, Dan. What is the third common mistake that people tend to make? This is a biggie, and and, uh, I've talked about this before, but forgetting about powers of attorneys. So in other words, your durable power of attorney and medical power of attorney. So a durable power of attorney, like I said, I've said this in a previous podcast, it allows you to authorize someone to act on your behalf so he or she can do things like pay everyday expenses, bills, watch over your investments, file taxes, and other financial responsibilities. Can you give us an example of this? So if the husband's incapacitated and the wife calls in to get money out of his IRA and they don't have a power of attorney, a durable power of attorney, then they have to get a court order. And that's a big hassle. It can take time and it's an expense. Dan, what type of person would you recommend for this? Choose a person who is financially responsible and potentially local. So in other words, if you live in California and your power of attorney is on the East Coast, it may not be the most convenient to have that person handle your finances. And another biggie that I feel very passionate about is is have a tiebreaker. 
So I recommend having an odd number of people. So if there's a disagreement, you have a tiebreaker. But bottom line is I'd recommend probably just sticking with one person, somebody you think is going to be responsible and get things done. But if you don't have a power of attorney, a durable power of attorney, uh, and you run into a situation that a loved one is incapacitated, you're probably going to need to get a court order, and that can take time and add a lot of expense to your overall situation. So this document is typically state-specific, so make sure it goes according to your state laws. Now, in the healthcare power of attorney, this document, similar to the durable power of attorney, this document allows you to appoint a representative or a trusted person to make medical decisions on your behalf if you're incapacitated or can't express your wishes, your wishes yourself. You can determine how much power that representative has. Dan, you shared your personal experience in our first episode that we did together. Can you please share it again? Many of you know that I had to make this decision 32 years ago. Like I said, I lost my wife to cancer. My wife was at the point that when I consulted the doctors, we knew and we all agreed that there was no hope of recovery. So I had to make that difficult decision to stop life support. This is a serious decision and you want to make sure you have the right person in place making that decision. And once again, I feel like a tiebreaker is critical, much like the durable power of attorney. You have one person making that decision and it's a tiebreaker. So keep in mind, this is a very emotional time and the last thing the family needs is a disagreement about your loved one's care or the welfare of your loved one. You, that's, you don't want to get into that kind of battle at this particular time. I agree. There's a lot going on. Adding this layer of stress is not worth it. Dan, what's the fourth common mistake that you tend to see? Yeah, an area I see often is, is forgetting to fund the living trusts, okay? What does that mean? So you can have a beautifully written trust, but if you forget to retitle your assets in the trust, they're going to go through probate. What's a good example of this? An example would be taxable accounts, investments, bank and credit union accounts, your house, rentals, things like that. If someone has an IRA, should they change that into the trust? People ask me this question all the time. If you have an IRA or a tax-deferred account, you don't want to change it into the trust. Oh, that's not the answer I was expecting. Why not? If you do that, immediately the whole account is going to be taxed at ordinary income. Okay, that's critical. That makes a lot of sense. When it comes to joint accounts with kids, this is another area that I see a lot of um, people adding their son or daughter to their joint accounts or taxable accounts. Keep in mind, when you add them, if they get in a car accident, they get sued, you could lose that account. You could lose your house if you don't have protection from liability. Whoa. What alternative do you recommend instead? Another way of doing this is if you set them up as a signer on that bank account or credit union account, they only have responsibility of being able to write checks with your permission, of course, but there's no liability, so you can't lose that account if they get in a car accident. Okay. What is the fifth common mistake that you tend to see? So your loved ones will be grieving after you pass away, but planning in advance what you'd like to have happen in terms of a funeral or burial arrangements, celebration of life, whatever you want to call it. And it can be a blessing for those you leave behind um, and your survivor, the survivors of your family. So another important component to this is making sure your wishes for the end-of-life care are known, such as hospice, assisted living, nursing home, things like that. So preparing for an event like this is critical, and it will be extremely helpful for that person handling and selling your estate. Do you have any other recommendations? My suggestion, and I would, I would say this is a special note to think about, think about how you'd like your life celebrated and what type of funeral or celebration of life you want. Put that in writing so your loved ones know exactly what they can do and how they can honor you. 
Now, end-of-life planning documents, they can be included in your estate plan too. All of this both ensures your final wishes will be respected while alleviating just a little bit of stress for those grieving your loss or struggling to know what you want. Okay, so an example would be, before my wife passed away, we had what she wanted in the memorial service, a burial plot, as well as specific and special requests. This is the time of mourning and, and celebration. It's an extra special and more meaningful time when your loved one has made the request on the service ahead of time. And, and, and like I said, when you have, have, whether you have readings, whether you have songs, whatever it may be, if this is coming from your, your wife or loved one who's passed away, it's going to add a lot more meaning to the celebration of life. Dan, can I just type this stuff out on Word document on my computer and call it good? Or do I have to have someone notarize it? What are the requirements for it to actually be official? That's a question I get a lot of times. Now, in the state of Colorado, and it's really state-specific, in the state of Colorado, you can have what's called a holographic will. And all that is, is is writing down on a piece of paper what your wishes are, and that can be your will. I would highly suggest you have a couple of people witness that and, and sign off on that, too, and probably even have it notarized. But my recommendation is that, if, I've said this before, if you're going to get it done yourself, you can you can get a package where you can get your will and estate documents done. You can do that as long as you're, you're going to get it done. A lot of people procrastinate when it comes to getting estate planning done. So what I suggest to those people, if you're not going to get around to it, it's important you get it done. Hire an estate planning attorney. They'll get it done for you, and they'll keep you uh, they'll keep you accountable, and you'll get it done. You'll have that peace of mind. Okay. If someone chose to do it themselves, where can they go to get it notarized? They can come to our office or any bank or any establishment that has a notary. Uh, we do that a lot for our clients. Like Dan said, some of the things that we covered today will be prepared prior to your death, but all of this will help your loved ones after you pass. Thank you for recording with me again today, Dan. We'll both be back next Tuesday to go over a checklist that you can follow after you lose a loved one. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Reach Your Summit podcast brought to you by Summit Wealth Group. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you have any questions or topics that you'd like us to cover, please email info at summitwealthgroup.com. Thanks again.